0: Welcome to the pharmacotherapy podcast. I'm Tom Lodis. I'm a professor at the Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences and a clinical pharmacy specialist at the Stratton VA Medical Center in Albany, New York. I also serve as one of the scientific editors for pharmacotherapy. Uh, today, we are talking with Dr. Michael Ryback and Dr. Trang Trinh about a paper they wrote, along with Dr. Jordan Smith, entitled Parental Phosphomycin. For the treatment of multi-drug-resistant bacterial infections, the rise of the epoxide. Uh, this paper appeared in the November 2019 issue of pharmacotherapy. Uh, Dr. Ryback is, is well known to the audience here. He's a professor of pharmacy at the Eugene Applebaum College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. Uh, Dr. Trin is an associate professor in the Department of Pharmacy. Uh, Medical Outcome Center at the University of California, San Francisco School of Pharmacy. Pharmacotherapy is by and large a a clinical audience. Um, So I think Mike has provided us a good overview of spectrum of activity, some of its PK, PD considerations, but ultimately where do we place this in therapy? So I think the first thing is a new IV drug being introduced to the United States. um, Where can we use this drug alone and, and what is the basis for that?
1: Sure. The Zeus trial is a phase three non-inferiority randomized control trial in which the trial enrolled about 465 hospitalized patients. And these patients were randomized one-to-one to either six grams every eight hours of IV phosphomycin or 4.5 grams every eight hours of pipercillin-tazobactam for really the treatment of complicated urinary tract infection. And this is suspected or microbiologically determined um, and in addition to the complicated urinary tract infection, they also looked at patients with acute pyelonephritis. And phosphomycin was found to be non-inferior to piperacillin-tazobactam in the primary efficacy endpoint. And this efficacy endpoint was a composite of the clinical and microbiological cure rate or eradication of um, any, any uh, detected organisms. Now, E. coli comprised a substantial proportion of isolates, about 73%. And 42% of these E. coli isolates were phenotypically determined to be ESVL producers. So, that, And then in terms of the clinical cure rates, these were similar between the two groups. Um, more than 90% experienced cure rates. However, the phosphomycin group had numerically higher eradication rates, um, 55% compared to 47% in the Piptasa group. Now, the authors of the Zeus trial also noted that um, microbiological persistence um, occurred beyond 14 days, and they attributed this to um, Pseudomonas aeruginosa isolates, which represented about 5% of all isolates in this Zeus trial. Um, Of note, however, these Pseudomonas aeruginosa isolates also had more than a fourfold MIC increase from baseline. Um, So in reviewing this trial, this is really uh, kind of the first step in where we might be seeing um, this uh, the IV agent being used in the United States. Um, Tom, as you mentioned, seeing E. coli isolates at your institution with high resistance rates to the quinolones, um, this might be a consideration as a first starting point.
0: Yeah, and I think the one thing that always comes up for us too is you know we have a tendency to reach to a carbapenem probably a bit earlier than we would like. So it's nice to have a, another non-beta-lactam in our armamentarium uh, for patients with complicated urinary tract infections with a good spectrum of activity. But I think Mike really alluded to, I think a lot of the interest with this drug is, is really in combination. And I think that's, I think what we have learned both from preclinical pharmacodynamic studies, and as, as well as you know some of our clinical observational trials is treating gram negatives with one drug alone is not optimal. So with phosphomycin, given us another drug to use in combination, um, where does it synergize best? So what, what organisms does it work best against in combination with other drugs? And you know, what drug should we be pairing it with against different antibiotic-resistant pathogens?
1: Sure. The in vitro and the in vivo animal model study and the data surrounding synergy for those um, for certain isolates, including E. coli and Klebsiella pneumoniae as well, including the resistant phenotypes. And so there are various combinations that have been evaluated in these in vitro and in vivo animal models and appears that synergy with carbapenems, uh, mainly imipenem as well as meropenem, um, have demonstrated greatest synergy, exceeding beyond 50%, all the way up to 78% in some studies. And the combination of aztreonam, colistin, and tigecycline are also uh, have also shown demonstrated synergy with fosfomycin. And this is consistently seen among your ESBL-producing E. coli and Klebsiella pneumoniae. In terms of your carbapenem-resistant enterobacteriaceae, so again, thinking about certain KPC-producing organisms um, all the way to your meta- metallobeta-lactamase producers, we're again seeing a lot of synergy with carbapenems um, and also seeing synergy with tygocycline and colistin. Now, specifically with your KPC-2-producing isolates, uh, synergy was seen greatest with meropenem compared to other combinations. As for The uh, MBL or your metallobeta-lactamase producers, including VIM and NDM producing isolates, phosphomycin uh, plus colistin, as well as phosphomycin plus um, colistin and meropenem had shown synergy in some of these studies. As for um, data for resistant Acinetobacter, however, is less promising, and as Mike mentioned earlier, I think for Acinetobacter and uh, your multi-drug resistant pseudomonas, this is really where you start thinking more about combination therapy, um, as we see in current clinical practice. Fosomycin and and colistin showed synergy against 50% of the OXA-23 producing Acinetobacter isolates. And perhaps the combination of phosphomycin and sulbactam may be even more promising, um, so exceeding 50% against some resistant acinetobacter isolates. However, the combination of phosphomycin with poly B or minocycline for your pan-drug resistant acinetobacter only really demonstrates synergy in less than 20% of the isolates that were tested. As for the carbapenem-resistant pseudomonas aeruginosa, there is promising data for combining test L- mycin with your anti-pseudomonal beta lactams so things like cefepime, ceftazidine, uh, piperacillin-tazobactam, as well as with colistin, aminoglycosides, and ciprofloxacin. And, of course, there is an extensive review of this data, which is seen in Table 7 of our paper.
2: I should mention, I'll just add something in to what uh, Trang has done, and she's done a nice review of Uh, combinations that have been effective against these gram-negative pathogens. There's also um, some data that would suggest that fosomycin plus daptomycin is actually a good combination for enterococcal infections, including vanco-resistant strains, and for staph aureus, including MRSA. In fact, there's some clinical data that would support the use there as well.
0: Uh, Thanks, Mike. So I think the other thing that always comes up is, is like kind of translating, you know, this, this synergy data that, that we see in test tubes and, you know, in, in vitro and in vivo models into practice. Clearly, there's a large ex-US experience using IB phosphomycin. And I think for our audience, I think it would be good if you can just comment on the clinical data to support a juice in combination for ESBLs, CRE, CRAB, as well as MDR pseudomonas.
1: Sure and tom as you mentioned that uh A lot of these studies, again, the clinical data comes from overseas, uh, mainly in Europe, specifically Greece, and um, looking at the combination of phosphomycin. However, again, the caveat is that these studies are limited to smaller observational studies in highly uh, critically ill patients. And so consequently, as you can imagine, the findings um, within this patient population are quite difficult to study the effects of these combinations. However, um, we do have this kind of clinical evidence and it would be interesting to see the combination in our patient population here in the United States. Um, so briefly, the, the main um, bulk of the studies, the cl- recent clinical data, uh, is really surrounding the carbapenemase producing Klebsiella uh, pneumoniae. And um, in a small observational study, again, of just 11 critically ill adult patients in a Greek institution. More than half of these patients, so six patients, had bacteremia associated with um, respiratory, urinary tract, and wound infection sources. And they were treated with um, phosphomycin for their carbapenemase producing Klebsiella pneumonia infections. And the c- most common co-administered antibiotics were colistin, Genomycin and piperacillin-tazobactam. However, the small sample sizes and kind of the various susceptibility testing methods that were used. So, in this particular case, the authors used just diffusion with inhibition zones of 16 millimeters or more, um, really preclude the applicability of these findings. Um, however as we're seeing uh, consistent with the in vitro data, uh, the combinations again are uh, mainly your carbapenems and we're seeing some colistin as well as uh, gentamicin synergy occurring. And a separate um, more recent observational study done between 2010 and 2012 included 48 adult patients were admitted to the intensive care unit, again in Greece for a highly resistant infections, so pan drug resistant and extensively drug resistant infections. And these patients were um, 38% had primary bacteremia and 29% had ventilator associated pneumonia. Four patients uh, also developed secondary bacteremia from an intraab source. And about 60% of these infections were actually monomicrobial, with 85% carbapenemase producing Klebsiella pneumoniae. All 48 patients received phosphomycin combination, and the predominant combination was with colistin, so about 67% of patients received phosphomycin plus colistin. Um, another 40% received phosphomycin with tigecycline, and uh, gentamicin and meropenem were other combinations that were studied. And the median phosphomycin dose in this study was 24 grams per day, with a median duration of 14 days of treatment and more than half, so 54% actually experienced clinical success and uh, 56% had microbiologic eradication within 14 days. Um, so I think that's kind of the two larger studies looking at phosphomycin combination for uh, Klebsiella pneumoniae. Now for multi-drug resistant Pseudomonas aeruginosa, again, uh, limited to smaller studies, um, looking at combination phosphomycin with uh, beta-lactams, And again, we're seeing meropenem and the carbapenems uh, really rising to the top here in terms of uh, clinical success that's achieved for the treatment of um, multidrug-resistant pseudomonas aeruginosa. In one particular study, um, it was a very small case series of about eight patients with nosocomial pneumonia. High dose uh, dorypenem, so one gram, was combined with fosamycin, achieved clinical success in about six patients. And the authors also compared this combination with phosphomycin plus colistin as the comparator group in a larger cohort of about 49 patients with uh, uh, nosocomial pneumonias. And clinical and microbiologic cure rates were comparable, 60% in the phosphomycin plus uh, doripenem group versus 58% in the phosphomycin plus colistin group. And these studies really provide the evidence that phosphomycin plus a carbapenem may be a a real consideration for multi-drug resistant pseudomonas um, infections, including those from ceftazidine resistant isolates.
0: All right. Thank you. I, I think that was a, a good comprehensive review of what's out there. I mean, clearly, you know, we're relying on observational data and limited randomized trial data, but in the gram negative space, particularly against antibiotic resistant organisms, I mean, this is really what we're left with. You don't have the luxury of the cardiologists with their large trials. So I, mm-hmm. I would encourage everybody listening to the podcast um, to go back and, and read the detailed clinical clinical activity summary that's provided in the paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lastly, you know, anytime you think about a drug, you think about efficacy, um, for antibiotics, you think about microbiologic activity and PKPD, uh, but it's also safety. So I, when I think about drugs and the drug like fosfomycin where we're largely going to use it in combination what is its safety profile? And I think the thing we always struggle with is, you know, aminoglycosides, the polymyxin all have their warts. So if you can comment on its safety and, and things that we should, you know, monitor closely in practice.
1: Sure. I think one of the first most important um, adverse effect that pharmacists should be aware of after following the administration of intravenous phosmycin is the potential for hypernatremia. And this sodium overload occurs in a very small percentage of, of patients, about 6%, is um, reported in the literature. However, we should be aware of this because for every gram of IV phosphomycin, um, each gram contains about uh, 0.32 grams of sodium. And so consequently, um, you know, we think of this uh, hypernatremia risk among certain patient populations. So those with heart failure, for example, think pharmacists should be aware of that. Now, a more common uh, adverse effect that may occur is hypokalemia, which occurs in about 26% of patients. Um, It was seen in about 30% of patients in the Zeus trial. And really this was more observed in uh, patients who had uh, quicker infusion times. So the short infusion time, 30 to 60 minute of IV phosphomycin um, was really where we saw these hypokalemia events. Um, whereas when the infusion was extended to four hours, uh, we saw no hypokalemia events in one study. Um, and this is again, just a consideration, but it is, um, hypokalemia is fortunately transient and mild. And even in, uh, despite repletion with potassium, you do start, you do still see these hypokalemia events with these shorter confusion times, and uh, there were no subsequent effects on um, cardiac function, however.
0: All right, great. And the other thing I always think about any time you have a lab abnormality is, is the patient's um, symptomatic or not, and you know, how closely can we monitor them? So... We think about Fosamycin, I mean, I think this drug is is going to be, you know, under the use of experts, whether it be on critical care docs or I, ID docs, and we'll probably be hospitalized. So we will have the opportunity to do intensive monitoring. So I think that something will mitigate any potential concerns with those.
1: Yes, certainly. I think it's, it, they are, again, you know, mild and transient. And I think in the grand scope of alternatives that uh, we would be reaching for in this for this patient, these types of patients, I think this is a fairly safe drug. Otherwise,
0: agreed. So before we conclude, um, Mike, are trying any any concluding comments?
2: No, I don't. I think this is a drug that we have to rely on because we talked about in the beginning um, how short the pipeline is and how MDR pathogens continue to be on the rise. So I think we just need a lot more clinical experience with phosphomycin in our own hands and our own patients to kind of figure out exactly what cases would uh, be best benefited by this new antimicrobial or new to us in the U.S. in terms of the IV form.
1: Yes, and I would agree. I think that it's most interesting to, uh, to see how phosphomycin has kind of retained fairly stable activity despite its use for more than 50 years um, elsewhere in the world. And so it'd be really interesting for us to generate some real evidence of use here in the United States, especially in the realm as it pertains to combination therapy for these multi-drug resistant infections. All
0: right, well, thank you. So I would encourage everybody listening to the podcast to, to please read the article. It's an excellent read. Um, I thank you for your time today. And, and Mike and Trang, thank you for your, your contribution of pharmacotherapy. Um, so with that, Happy holidays, and I wish everybody a good day.